Yeah, here. We're fine. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of Get in the Garage. I am Jeff. I'm joined here by my boys, Mike and Luke. Hi, everyone. Hello. We are here today to talk about Women Who Rock. All the albums we're going to discuss today are made by female artists. It's a change of pace. Last week, we covered Metallica, so we figured we'd go in a completely different direction this week. Um, We did not... Uh, plan last week was actually International Women's Day, but we didn't realize it. We did a lot of research on Metallica, so it was like a little too late for us to change the subject. But we decided what a great thing to talk about today. So these are all going to be female artists that we really enjoy. We each picked three albums made by female artists to discuss, and we all listened to them, and we're going to have an open dialogue about these albums. And so enjoy. Uh, at the top, you know, it's 2021, so I think it's appropriate. These days, we're going to Here's a little trigger warning because we will talk about some uh, controversial things and maybe some uh, unsettling things perhaps maybe mentioned. Things such as child abuse and sexual assault and things of that nature, extreme depression. Like these topics may, came, may come up because these are things that inspired some of these albums. So just be forewarned, uh, we may talk about some things that, you know... And and also, we're three white guys in our 30s, so we're going to do the best we can to cover this sensitive material. And, you know, we don't want to offend anybody, so we're just trying to uh, highlight the music, and we are trying to be as woke as possible. And so if we have any missteps, please forgive us, but we are going to try to talk about these subjects in a uh, as open and an as positive and enlightening way and all that stuff. So anyway, here we go. Let's talk about some albums, man. Uh, Luke. What's your first of three picks to discuss today? Um, I wanted to, like, first, I, well, my first pick today is going to be The Runaways' first album, uh, self-titled. Um, the Runaways were um, an all-female hard rock group formed in the mid-'70s, um, and they were managed by this guy named Kim Foley, who was pretty much like a garbage canny underbelly guy of the rock and roll scene who got his start by writing novelty music um and then like kind of smeezed his way into like the birds inner circle in the late 70s and um around the grateful dead new writers of purple sage stuff um so anyways he's a real creep ball but he uh put an ad in a thing that said in a music magazine that said uh looking to manage an all-female band nobody came to him he found uh guitarist joan jett who then he formed the band pretty much around. Um, so this band is is all women. Um, lead singer Cherry Curry. Um, also on guitar is Lita Ford. Um, and this band is pretty much like on the glam side and hard rock side in the movement kim foley really like put an image of like a like it's almost like a female ramones kind of thing or like a sweet if you will that band from england um and i really just love how um this album came out it is full of like 
teenage songs um like it's super like american nights is a song on there um it's a lot about partying um the lead si- single off the album that everybody probably knows is cherry, cherry bomb. bomb um it hits super hard and it's one of the nastiest songs ever written um it's like overtly out there sexually in the way like led zeppelin would be but like reversed and therefore flipping the power dynamic um back on on the males and that is what i love about it and um this band really um like you know sparked a lot of like um female empowerment in themselves because they did play like hard rock they had great guitar solos on this record um it's on par with anything the boys were doing so and you get this great like the the twist of the power back dynamic um and it's got like the weird wrangling of like um like the the manager of like la slum so you get it's like a really lae record um, and I really, really love it, and it, it really is, like, American glam punk for the era, and it's one of the high watermarks, I think, especially coming from L.A., not New York, and that's, like, the mid-70s, so. Dude, it's a badass album. I had never listened to it before. I, I know Cherry Bomb, because it's on the soundtrack of, like, a million movies, but I'm so glad that this was one of your choices, because this, this was a real pleasure to listen to, and it's pretty awesome to listen to, like, a band of teenage girls just ripping like great guitar solos, great dual lead vocals, like really good, solid songwriting. And uh, I love the production on this album too. It has like this, like kind of like echo thing on the vocals. It's just very like frantic sounding. Um, and Joan Jett, I mean, you know, she is, she's so underrated. Like I love her singing. I love her songwriting. Um, but yeah, great choice, man. Yeah, uh, Joan Jett sings uh, some songs lead on here as well on the like you drive me wild, yeah. the second track in the record. What a great track, right? It's so like a- and for the period, this is on par with like the Ramones and stuff of that era. I and it's just so. I mean, I love like Joan Jett like as a really young girl singing like you drive me wild. Her voice sounds great, and like the, the chunky uh, guitar tone that she has too is it was like I mean. I just think it's super influential for the time. I kind of and I kind of avoided this album unfortunately because of like the CD background and like how it was a dude in like his late 30s who put together a teenage band and he had like allegations of sexual misconduct and rape and all this stuff so I was like I don't even know if I want to touch that music cuz it might just be like tainted by all that. But I'm glad like the music itself seems to be like very much there it was their thing. I know he co-wrote some songs but it was very much like this band was just kicking ass. Yeah. And I mean, like, Mike, like when I first showed you this record, I was like, come on, man, listen to it. You were like, nah, nah. And then you listened to it and you were like, oh, man, this record is fire. It's so good. Yeah, this was a record that I got as a gift from my um, my grandmother's husband, who has an extensive record collection. Uh, so one year for Christmas, he gave me a couple of different things. I got like a nice original press of like Sticky Fingers. I got the first Ramones album, like a first press of the Ramones album. And the Runaways was one of the records that was in the stack that I got. And uh, and I, I didn't really know anything about them yet. And Luke was pretty much just like, hey, you should really check that album out. Um, and I did. And I'm, man, it's just, it's, it's a great album. And it serves as just such a great launch pad for really the, the two, the two big ones, probably Joan Jett 
and Lita Ford, right. who would then go on to just become great artists in their own right. Joan Jett kind of more so taking that sort of punk rock sort of attitude, hard rock kind of uh, uh, pathway, and then Lita Ford and ending up becoming like just a phenomenal guitar player in her own right as a lead guitar player, uh, collaborating with a lot of great artists. Um, Ozzy, uh, Jeff Tate from Queensryche. Um, so yeah, like, <laughs> but even Joan Jett, man, I mean, like, you know, you look at Joan Jett and she's kind of like, she's, she's another like great representation of the embodiment of rock and roll. Like even how she holds her guitar and the way that she, she plays it, you know what I mean? It's like low and she puts it out there and there's this badass sort of attitude about it. There's a great interview with Lemmy from Motorhead, uh, in, in talking about Lita Ford and um and he's talking about how like uh there were other guitar players on the scene at the time who are like yeah you know Lita Ford like she's pretty good for a girl and his response was like she's better than you man like <laughs> dude she's awesome like I was yeah, like she's I'm like what the fuck this is really dude crazy. yeah phenomenal guitar player you know great guitar player so that's the thing and I think what I what I love about this record is like you kind of said too Luke like it flips the script in that way where it's just basically kind of like especially when you're talking about the, the 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 rock scene from like the late seventies, it was cock rock, right? Yeah. Excuse my language, but it was really like really male dominated rock and roll. So so to have these young women come in and really just kind of like be like, no, step aside. Like let me show you guys how it's really done. And it's so it's such a genuine sounding album to me. Like it's just it's really pure. It's really reduced and um I think it's super effective, man. Like I, I, I love I love this album. Yeah, like I think if you like especially like all female uh bands like remember the donnas were a thing in the early 2000s they had that song take it off which was a big hit um or sleet or kinney or uh heim a current band of sisters like this is kind of like the starting place like i know there were other in a in a way kind of like novelty girl groups but like this was like a real real established band that was all teenage girls and it's just like it's such a fresh fresh uh fresh thing yeah, Absolutely. I just love how dirty and gritty the album is, you know. There's yeah. not, you know. Yeah, and all the yeah. all the lyrics are like like you said, like overly I guess properly like overtly sexual for the, you know, for the time and like very pushing the envelope and like, you know, their image was kind of this like where the jailbait jailbait rock group of the, you know, late 70s scene. So like all everything pushed the envelope and everything was, you know, kind of like teenage lust type of stuff, but the fact that they're singing it and it's not like being aimed at them is such a cool thing. Absolutely. And uh, I just want to like highlight like American nights would be like a really like great song that shows the era and like the peak songwriting uh, influence of Foley, like putting like a teenage song in the record. Um, also every song that Joan Jett sings on here is a classic um, blackmail. It rocks so hard as well as what I already said, you drive me wild by Joan Jett. And uh, everybody knows that Cherry Bomb's a Stone Cold Stunner. So there you go. I, I liked my favorite song was definitely "You Drive Me Wild." That second track, the lead, that mm-hmm. lead Ford guitar solo is so good. But I also I really like the closing song too, where it's like this um, epic, like seven minute, like uh, Sheree Curry and Joan Jett both have different verses, and it goes into all these different styles through the seven minutes. It's like this, like we're breaking out of jail kind of song. Yeah, like uh, like epic teenage tragedy kind of thing. Yeah, what was that called? Like, Dead End Justice. Yeah. Yeah, like a la Shangri-La. Yeah, right, right on, man. Right. 
Yeah, I like the um, uh, rock and roll, the Velvet Underground cover. Uh, I love the intro, too, because it's very, like, mountain-esque with the cowbell. Like, <laughs> dun, dun, heavy, dun, cowbell. Dun, dun. heavy cowbell usage. I like that. Uh, that's a great track. And then, uh, as for, like, an, a, a track, you know, not cover track, um, Is It Day or Night? Like, I, I really like that song, too. Um, Is it day or night? Yeah, it's just, like, it, it, it's kind of, like, I, I felt some sort of, like, kind of kissed vibes. Yeah. Two in there, you know, like coming in with like a little bit of that glam kind of hard rock kind of feel and stuff. Like, yeah, I, I was so uh, I was really happy to uh, to go back and re-listen to this album because I really haven't listened to it in years, you know. So uh, it was it was it was a fun listen for sure, man. I love this album. Yeah, really, really good choice. Um, Thanks, guys. What's your first yeah, choice, man. Mike? I am gonna go with Betty Davis as my first choice. Um, originally born uh betty mabry she became betty davis because she was married to our man miles davis uh and what did you a damn liar um (laughs) and uh you know she she uh she just started her her early modeling career um i want to say around like the age of 19 uh, and ended up marrying Miles Davis and was a huge influence on Miles Davis with introducing him to the likes of Jimi Hendrix and Sly and the Family Stone. And that is really where you get kind of Miles's like jazz fusion, like sort of psychedelic period. That's where Miles kind of drops the regular traditional suit and starts dressing a bit flashier. He wears like that's where the era of like the crazy sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, right. You know, so she she definitely influenced him on that front, you know, and uh, she was, I mean, you want to talk about flipping the script, man, fearless, fearless, fearless woman. I mean, to the point where her, her lyrics were so like explicit and overtly like hypersexualized that she was protested against like the, the NAACP protested against her shows, like religious groups protested against her shows. But I think, that if you look at like modern day, if you look at the Cardi B's and the Nicki Minaj's oh. and stuff, this is kind of where it really started, where you have this kind of like strong black woman in the 1960s and 70s who's like, no, I'm going to take the reins on this one. I'm going to do my thing. And I think she was, I mean, she was super, you know, she was super effective on that. She's also, speaking of Miles Davis, she's also f- pictured on the Miles Davis, Miles Davis album, De Kilimanjaro, where it's kind of like this weird, sort of like blurry sort of picture, uh, picture of her. But the album is They Say I'm Different, um, released in 1974. Uh, it was originally released on Just Shine Records. She wouldn't really get her big break until the following album, Nasty Girl, which uh, was released on Island Records, Nasty Gal rather, uh, Island Records, which she uh she was able to kind of like score that sort of a no, i don't want to say score because it kind of sounds bad but like she was also in a relationship with robert palmer who famously wrote addicted to love it's simply irresistible <laughs> which i was surprised to hear that because i'm like wait what like how do you go from miles davis to robert palmer like it just it kind of that's, sup- that's a super sexual music video which one addicted to love you got all the girls in the background that's yeah. They're like in suits, not um, playing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was that was kind of that kind of threw me for a loop a little bit. But um, the album is and the album itself is so great. The cover itself too is very a la Zardoz. <laughs> Zardoz. It's got like this. 
Zardoz. It's got like this kind of like fantasy slash science like fiction kind of, kind of like cave cave woman warrior costume or something. Yeah, yeah, man. Like she looked like this crazy like futuristic Amazon woman kind of thing. Like it was great. I love the album cover. Um, the way she delivers the lyrics are, is just so fun. She's got, like I said earlier, she's got kind of this like sort of snarl thing that she does when she sings. Um, and you can tell she just owns it. You know, she just kicks the door in and she doesn't give a shit and she does what she wants to do. And I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, Same. This was the first yeah. listen for me too. I, I know the title yeah. track, but I never listened to the album. Really, really cool. Yeah. And I, I love, I mean, the title track is great. Uh, as for the songs that I wanted to highlight for the album, I love the song. He used to be a big freak. The intro, he used to be a big freak, you know, and it's the whole thing of kind of like how she's like, it's, it's kind of like, uh, she's like a dominating sort of force in this man's life. Like she, she used to tie him up in the turquoise chain. And when I was his mother, I used to hold him like a baby and stuff like this. So it's, it's interesting because it's very much, you know, uh, again, especially it's 1974. Also, if you think about it, I mean, all right. Credit where credit's due, Miles Davis, one of the greatest jazz artists of arguably of all time. But like, let's be real, man, a hardcore misogynistic kind of a man who was known for being kind of an abusive person in his relationships. Like, so for her to kind of for her to kind of flip it in that way to kind of be like, no, now I'm the one who like whips the man, you know, like I just thought that was a great turn. Yeah, there, there's a famous quote attributed to her. Like you said, her, her original name was Mabry. But she kept the name Davis, and she said, "I earned that name every day for that year I was married to him." Because he he would they would just fight, and they would like throw each other against walls and shit. And and she told him, she, yeah. I mean, she she said she did ask him ask him if she, uh, he minded her using the name, and he said he didn't. So I, you know, because back in that day, like sometimes you need to use that kind of thing to get some of the foot in the door type of thing. But yeah, I mean, I think someone who was so powerful and so willful and so revolutionary like of course they're gonna butt heads with a guy who is has this very backwards thinking very misogynistic thinking um so i'm i'm glad that they're only married for that year because as much as i love the music of miles davis like i wouldn't want, i wouldn't want to be married to him i wouldn't even well want it's just like it's <laughs> like well yeah and i mean it's just like it's it's like we've mentioned it on the podcast before it's like uh you know, Ike Turner. I mean, okay, the same thing. It's just like, okay, yeah, his his contribution to music was great, but I'm not saying he's a great guy. You know what I mean? Like he's far from it. You know, far from Dude, it. Dude, I so, was gonna, I was gonna um, put the Turner Ike Turner album, but I was just like, I don't even, I don't even want to get into that because I can't separate it. Really, I love Tina Turner. I love some of the music, but like, especially for that stuff, I can't. I can almost not listen to it because of that background. Right. Right. Um, so moving forward, but I, that's What's my up? favorite oh, song is the one I, you said. Uh, I specifically like the title cut of this record, but I really like overall, like overtly the like like Mike said, the alpha on the cover was like on that forefront of Afrofuturism that uh, like Jeff said the Parliament was throwing out, and I like that coming from like another angle, like a, a feminine angle of the super Afrofuturism. Um, it kind of looks like. Um, to me, like later in like the '90s, like uh, Erica Badu oh, would yeah. like kind of rock something like that, right? Too, and maybe be like uh, maybe that overtly kind of sexual yeah. at times. Um, so I like dug that kind of 
like look on it like Mike said it like the Cardi B's of today like it's all that and I love like the the you know space suit and the boots and the like the putting on a show of it at the same time because it shows that like like not all not all love encounters are that extreme but like putting a costume on it and making it like you know what I mean kind of like plays with the fun of all of it and um I I really like that whole vibe of it and yeah. the, the the claiming of that territory for for a woman, you know what I mean? Of that time. It's like it's a great record and a great flashpoint in history to yeah. listen to. Yeah, like, I agree. I, I, I like agree. how she was um, also like kind of like a spoken word kind of poet artist who then was just like, fuck it, I'm gonna make funk music and I'll make some demo tapes where I just like hum the parts and I'll find really good musicians and we'll all just put to, together a band and we'll make it work. And like, if things aren't working, I'll just change them in the studio. And it sounds like very free and loose, the whole record. Yeah. I mean, I, I love like the, the, uh, this, my second song, the highlight, uh, your mama wants you back. You know, it's just, it's got that great, like, boom, 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 boom. Like it's got that killer bass line. It's very, it's very sparse. And I like how she kind of, she sings with the guitar. Like your mama wants yeah, you yeah. back. Yeah. Your mama wants you back. But it's like. Yeah, that's, I mean, for me, that's just, it's a great song. And then my third song, Don't Call Her No Tramp, mm. that comes in hard with that clavinet intro. Um, and again, it's just like, take the power back for females, you know, because I think that there's sort of this narrative. Unfortunately, there's this narrative, especially when you're talking about the times and the way that men were, uh, were very much just kind of like, you know, they would quote unquote hook up with a woman and kind of play with her heart and then just kind of go on to the next the next one where don't call her no tramp is is kind of the other way where it's just like no you know what like i'm the woman who's gonna play the man this time you know and uh, i just thought that was another another paradigm shift that i you know i really you know i really enjoyed so um yeah overall i just think it's a great album unfortunately the first three out her first three albums didn't really get the notoriety that i think they deserve uh, like I said, uh, Nasty Gal was 1975. That was the one that kind of like launched her. Uh, but but really, most of her success was mainly in I think I want to say like in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say I'm different was an album I was reading up on. It. it was like, you know, one of the greatest albums that like nobody ever really heard. Yeah, right. You know, right. until until there were like the remasters later on. I think I want to say it was like 2006 or 2007. I think they remastered like they remastered and then they put some like unreleased tracks on on uh, on a couple of them but uh but yeah so betty davis they say i'm different definitely check it out it's 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 a great album it's it takes the power back for women and i just uh and i think the influence of betty davis overall uh in terms of kind of taking kind of taking the hit for kind of being comfortable in uh, like a like the woman's perspective of being comfortable in, in in her sexuality that I think was really important, man. And uh, and you, like I said, you could definitely see the influence of it in, like I said, the Nicki Minaj's, the Cardi B's of uh, of present day. So don't sleep on Betty Davis, man. She's killer. Yeah. She's she's great. I love her. Yeah, man. So Jeffrey. Uh, so my first choice is like, <laughs> the album that launched a million female singer songwriters after it, and it's from 1971. And it's Joni Mitchell's Blue. Uh, This album, I think recently on the re-ranking of Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums, I think it's actually at like number three. Uh, So it moved up a bunch and it's highly renowned and known. 
Uh, quick sidebar before I go to anything. The Grammys were last night. You know how many albums this one was nominated for? Six. As my guess. Zero! Fucking zero. Goes really? Me. Grammys. Who the fuck cares? The Grammys? Who cares? Who cares? Joni Mitchell's Blue. Not yeah. even nominated for a single Grammy. Anyway. Uh, so this album was her fourth album. She's a Canadian singer-songwriter. She's like one of the most heralded singer-songwriters. Not just female singer-songwriters, but singer-songwriters in general. This album is uh, so incredible. It is very stark. It is pretty much Joni Mitchell unaccompanied on most of the songs. It's her playing guitar or piano or an instrument called the dulcimer, which is like this droning Appalachian American kind of guitar, but it just... It just sounds very country and backwoods type of sound. Uh, she's joined by some musical guests on a couple tracks, notably her boyfriend at the time of the recording, James Taylor, who had yet who had yet to become like a huge star. He plays guitar on three of the tracks. Stephen Stills of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young plays bass and guitar on a track. Um, Russ Kunkel plays drums. Like by saying plays drums means like kind of gives a little bit of beat of a shaker and bass drum beat on a couple of tracks and then this guy uh this slide like a lap steel guy sneaky pete Kleino, plays a uh, pedal steel on i think two tracks but it's basically this album sneaky sneaky, sneaky pete's on sneaky, everything he is on everything in the like 60s 70s 80s he plays pedal yeah. steel on every <laughs> single thing he's from the flying burrito yeah, it's brothers. like sneaky pete for 35 years and then it goes to greg lease for the past 30 years he's the one on everything now um but yeah it's so it's it's this is singer songwriting at its barest and best in my opinion because these songs pretty much sound like how they would have sounded if she like was sitting at your house and was like oh i wrote this song can i play it on your piano cuz it's it's very unadorned but it's such beautiful music and she produced this album which is pretty notable because let's you know 1971 not a lot of female artists were producing their own music and she was established at this time. It was her fourth album. So, like, the fact that she was able to have full artistic control over music is a pretty wonderful thing. This album has so many great songs that I'll just pick three. But all the songs are great. And uh, this is like a barometer test for me. If I played this album for someone and they walked away and they were like, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really feel anything about that. I would just, like, have to walk out the room. Because I'll admit, Joni Mitchell's voice, it's very much of that time. It's that right end of 60s early 70s like a lot of female falsetto singing a lot of kind of like uh just there's no you know there's no pitch correct there's no auto-tune it's just very real a la uh joan baez influence i would say right from the yeah. folk scene yeah that 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 would be like what i always kind of got from the, yeah. the vocal style um but a great singer huge range i think she like had like a four or five octave range and she, since she played guitar and piano and dulcimer i think she has a lot more um like pitch and rhythmic sense than a lot of singers at that time so even things on this album that kind of sound like warbly folk music she's doing these like intricate runs and chromatic things um just a very expressive singer and these lyrics are like if you just printed them out as a book of poetry, they're like some of the best lyrics of all time. But some of my favorite songs on this album would be the song, A Case of You, which is this, the penultimate song, which is like been covered by everybody. 
which is about someone being infatuated by love, but knowing that it's going to go wrong and knowing that it's nearing its end. I also really enjoy the song Blue, the title track, which is like if someone said, what does depression sound and feel like? It's like, all right, listen to these three minutes because it's every lyric is about how like ambivalent she is and how she wished she felt more, but how she just can't really feel anything and she's numb to what she's feeling. And, and musically, like she does such a great job at what's called uh, like making the music sound sad without doing just the simple things of like minor chords. She just does all these weird notes, these weird like chromatic figures. And like the song ends on this like jazz chord. So it's even like, oh yeah, that is depression where it's like, you're singing about how crazy it is for three minutes, but then you end with like, well, maybe I'll just do this again today kind of chord. Um, and then All I Want, the opening track, which just sets off the, the album on a great, uh, great tone because it's like, I am a wandering wanderer. And the whole album is about how she is just like, she's experienced love, but it's maybe not what she wants. And she wants to have hope for a new love. And it, the album is very personal. Like it's, it's autobiogra autobiographical in like talking about how when she broke up with Graham Nash of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, that she like went to, went to Greece, went to Crete and like was vacant. Oh, I was just going to give oh, you the fun okay. fact. I'll hand it off to you then. Let's talk about Crete. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, yeah, no, oh, so there's a... Oh, Luke is... <laughs> Luke's got the Crete mug. Nice. Yeah, so famously... I met a, I met a man <laughs> on a Grecian right. Isle. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there was a village called Matalau, which is like the kind of like the hippie hub of Crete where you, if you, you can actually look it up. It, it's pretty far out. It's really cool. But uh, there's uh, there are these like this cluster of caves that are just naturally like bored into like a mountainside right next to the next to the ocean, and a lot of hippies from the 1970s all kind of like migrated there uh, and lived in these caves in the 1970s. Uh, the, when I went to Crete last, I, I didn't get a chance to go, but before that, more my parents went. They went there, and it's really cool because it's really the it's like the art the super sort of like hippie artistic hub in crete like you go there and there's kind of like these you know these volkswagen buses with like they're all painted psychedelic and there's like you know like uh you know like super just like you know uh, tie-dye and you know uh, uh like maybe sort of like a rastafarian influences there too you know like you, there's places that that play like bob marley and stuff you know like which is far out because like you think of crete and crete especially uh is is a, is an island that's very steeped in their own sort of tradition you know like it's crete is super mm. crete you know like so to have a place like that um i think it's just it's really cool you know and uh and the fact that it, the the influence of the hippies going to crete it really left like a la like a pretty long lasting stamp on the village itself in that way where it kind of the whole village sort of adopted this kind of like open minded free thinking kind of like hippie world view you know and it's and it's still like that today so it's um it's pretty cool but yeah yeah, the, yeah. This, you know i saw that and i was like yes this album it, yes <laughs> since it's so much like she wrote these songs over a period of like 6 months except for one song which she had written uh i think 4 years earlier the the whole album has references to that time 
So like California is written from the perspective of being vacationing on this beautiful Greasing Isle with all these like-minded people, but still being like, I just miss like my home and like how I felt in California or the song, this flight tonight, which is literally about like getting on the plane to leave, to go to Greece. And then just being like, I don't know, maybe I should turn around and try to work things out with, with uh, Graham Nash at the time. But this whole album, I mean, it's chocolate. Every single song I love the river, you know, like it's, and, and the song that was written before the rest of the album, Little Green, I didn't know this, but I guess I should have known. But this song is all about the perspective. She she uh, had a child when she was 21 and she gave it up for adoption. And then like two years later, wrote the song about how she felt about it and then like kind of shelved it, but then felt it was appropriate with all these songs about longing and loss and love to like include it on this album, which I think was really wonderful. Yeah, I I I love like this whole that whole vibe too of how <clears throat> this is like um for me like this album almost too plays like um like it's very confessional whether it's like right or wrong or whether like you're going to feel that way later in the moment it would and so everything like you like you said like highlighted with like this flight tonight like that it's like you know I don't know if I'm going to feel this way later but yeah. I feel this way now and those feelings getting captured um on a record i feel like are so important because everybody has those feelings where you're like well i didn't feel you know what i mean because like for this being like the classic breakup record that it is right or like you know lost love kind of thing it's it, it plays like that because you can listen back to it later and be like wow man did i yeah. feel like that but now you know i don't really feel like that now and you can relate back to it and it's got all this great uh indecisiveness that like i mean that i super relate to and it's got you know like like the all i want is at like is is kind of like manic all right. over the place because at one point it's like it's just it's just like i really really love you but you know we make each other so sad and everything's not really going that great but like man like i want to knit you a sweater and i really i just want to like be with you and um i just like having like both things said in the same moment and that's why i really love this record yeah i'm happy that yeah. you mentioned little green too because that was the song that i had chose as kind of like my highlight song for the album uh i love that it's just kind of heard an acoustic guitar you know and there's just such a it's such a heartbreaking song you know i mean i um i had a friend who has since passed away um like maybe like eight or nine years ago but he was in a relationship with a woman and they ended up having a child and they had to put their child up for adoption too. And when I listened to this song, I couldn't help but think about that, you know, and think about like, especially now being a father, like, you know, I, I can't, I can't even, I should say, I can't even imagine how she must have felt in that moment of being like, I have this child, but I can't take care of it. And, you know, kind of coming to that place where, you know, you want to do like, you know, you love your child, but at the same time, you want to do what's best for your child, you know? So I can't even imagine the the, the heartbreak that, that must have come along with having to put her child up for adoption, but also coming from that place of trying to do the right thing as a parent, too, you know? And I think it really translates in the music because it, there is this sort of, like, heaviness to it that's just so heartbreaking, man. It's so, you know, it's, it's, it's rough. But, um, I mean, fortunately... She ended up reuniting with her daughter, I think, in 1997. Uh, so there, there's, there's some closure there, I think. There was some closure there, I hope, for her anyway. 
uh, in that way to be able to reunite with her and stuff. And uh, and yes, but Little Green was just yeah that that yeah, and, and some background on that. It's like she came from Canada and not like Toronto, Canada, but like woods, freezing cold Canada, and like the the child's father had just dipped out while Joni was pregnant, and she was in an apartment. She couldn't even pay her rent, and she was literally like burning pieces of furniture to stay warm. So it makes sense that like she had to do what was best for her. And she even said that like it was the hardest thing she had to do, but doing it like freed her of, of like she knew doing it, she was doing the right thing. And it freed this like writer's block that she had. And she was actually able to like unleash her own songwriting powers after she did that, because she felt like, well, now I've done something that is so like, selfless for someone else even as hard as it was that i think i can like give myself into this music and i can like really be very blatantly honest and like transparent about my feelings and thoughts and like i can feel accepted i don't feel like i have to hide things yeah i think the the thing is from an artist's perspective it's kind of like that that bittersweet place where it's just kind of like you know, it's that thing where you hear like with comedians, right? Where it's like if you hear of a comedian that's like uh, that that say went through like a rough divorce, or like they're like if you have a man, if you have a male comedian, like oh my wife left me. Oh well, now now you can be funny. You know, it's it's almost kind of like you know, it, it not, I don't I don't mean this in a in a bad way as much as it's kind of like you know I think that like if you're a person who really feels like the truest of human emotions, that it. In a, in a way, from an artistic perspective, it kind of unlocks this this sort of this sort of angle where you can approach your art at, where it it, it kind of it kind of cuts out all the bullshit. You know what I mean? It, it gives this sort of an honesty to the art, uh, and uh, I definitely I, I definitely feel it with this album for sure, man. Being somebody who I mean I know all three of us, you know, it's you know it's twenty twenty one. This unfortunately it's not a taboo subject necessarily anymore, but. You know, especially now with COVID and all, and the state of the world and everything, you know, things are heavy. It's heavy times, you know, and depression is something that's a very real thing, you know. So uh, I think this album, in a way, too, being as somebody who struggles with it myself, it can really provide the listener with, you know, kind of a healing quality as well of, of, of maybe, you know, not feeling so isolated in that way of being like, oh, yeah, you know, like, people feel this way and that it's okay to feel this way. You know what I mean? So that's what I really liked about the album too, is that it, it kind of, you know, it, 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 even though it's like sad, it gives you a sense of hope in that way too. You know, like it can, it can, it can really provide the listener with this healing. Yeah, uh, this album healing isn't, quality, it's, you know? it's not entirely sad. It has that, like Luke said, it's that very manic depressive type of a little bit of everything. It's like the real range of human emotions and, um, I just think it's like a watershed moment. It's a benchmark moment in in singer songwriting music and female music in general. And like my my feelings about this music is summed up. I guess she played for Chris Christopherson, another singer songwriter, and he heard the whole album. And then he was like, "Geez, Joni, you got to keep something to yourself." And I, I'm glad she did it because like this this album is like, I don't know. I think it's a perfect album. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Definitely. Well said. Well, great, great round one. Let's take a let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back with uh, our next. We'll do a round, two rounds each, uh, and uh, and and sum it all up. So. Have you ever felt emotions? Then do we have the podcast for you? 
Feel Feelings is a weekly podcast where comedians Danny Getz and George Bruderman sit down with some of the funniest, emotionally distraught people, i.e. comedians, they know, and talk feelings. Every Friday, hear very funny people reminisce on Ren and Stimpy, worry about the Wizard of Oz, and emote over their emo phase. Check out Feel Feelings with Danny and George, a show about feelings and the things that make you feel them. Welcome back, everyone. Sorry for any interference with the way that I sounded on the last part. The guys let me know <laughs> that I sounded kind of like crap, so hopefully I sound better now. Uh, Welcome to get, so, get in the Garage Women in Women First episode. Mm. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so let's just get right back into it. Round number two. Luke, why don't you lead us off with your second album? All right, my second album I chose was The Singles uh, by Bikini Kill. Um, so my first pick was Joan Jett with, in The Runaways, and I wanted to choose this record to show what seeds were planted and had come to fruition. Um, some, what would that have been, like 20 years, 25 years later, something like that. Yeah, like 15-ish. Think, yeah, 15 years. Yeah, like 15 years later. So, um, anyway, so this record, uh, Bikini Kill comes from, uh, Olympia, Washington. Um, you know, that's where you have like, you know, the grunge movement happening, your Mud Honeys, your Melvins, your Nirvanas, all that great stuff. Um, what made Bikini Kill, um, special and different is they were on the forefront of music that was made post-hardcore, um, and was loud and was female empowered and came to fruition around 1990 and it was called Riot Girl. Um, uh, it's Riot Girl. Girl. Yes. <laughs> thank you, Jeff. Um, you know, and there was a bunch of bands around that movement. Um, you know, Bratmobile, but Bikini Kill really became like the, um, the band and almost like the way that Nirvana became the band that was grunge. If you kind of had anything female going on, like Bikini Kill, for better or worse, became associated with um, the female um, feminist movement that was um, Riot Girl in the early 90s. So they definitely got attached to it. But um, the thing I really wanted to highlight was Joan Jett produced and played guitar on the first three songs on oh, this record. Really? Yeah, in the beginning of oh. Demi Rap, where they're doing the Miss Mary Mac, yeah. that's Joan Jett um, oh. is one of the uh, people doing the, the Miss Mary Mac with her. Um, so I wanted to bring it full circle because Joan Jett always was a champion for outsider bands and women, especially in music. And I feel like she produced these three songs for Bikini Kill. They're my favorite Bikini Kill songs. Um and they're the first three on this record, and that's really why I chose it, um, really to just show what had come from The Runaways and um, what it was now. And um, the Riot Girl movement was really spearheaded by a song called um, Rebel Girl, which is the single on this album. It's the seven-inch version. Um, and the song is powerful. It takes back hurtful language and reappropriates it um, for their own use in their own way. Um, it's female centric. Um, it's um, you know it's a queer anthem. Um, this song for me um, showed like another side of 
um, even as, okay, so like gay people in this country even have a stereotype of what gay is and that can um, be unfair and hurtful. So this song really just breaks down a lot of stereotypes, a lot of like, well, you think you know something, well, know this. Um, and I like that they take back the, um, the, um, the slur of what you would call somebody. Um, I don't really want to say it. But um, if you listen to the song, you'll hear what it is. And they take it back in such a powerful way that I really, really love. Um, and it takes... I mean, I don't know if it takes the hurt out of it for those people, but for, for me to hear it, it feels so um, prideful and wonderful, and um, I just love it. And I like how they're making the um, the gay character in the song as well, like um, a hero um, to the um, the the person, um, the narrator in the song. The um, the gay person is a hero, someone to be looked up to, someone that doesn't take no shit. Um, and the guitar is brutal and, you know, as thrashing as you could ever want it to be. So, um, that's really why I chose this. It's got a lot of great elements and, um, captures what Bikini Kill was best about. So, sorry I went so long-winded, but what did you guys think? No, not long-winded at all. I liked it. I'd, I'd never listened to Bikini Kill. I, I knew the name, I knew the influence, I knew the importance, but, um, punk rock isn't really my thing necessarily, so I just never sought it out, but... Uh, I'm glad I listened to these singles. I, I, my favorite song was that Demi Rep song, the uh, third track, I think, on this album, where it starts with that Miss Mary Mac nursery rhyme, and then it goes like full punk rock, and then it has this like slowed down like guitar breakdown, and then the, the nursery rhyme comes back in, and it's like behind the song as it's going, which I didn't realize until I listened to it like three times. Yes. Um, but yeah, so that was like, oh shit, they went back to the nursery rhyme. It's like a very chaotic um but yeah super i mean i this sounds like it came out 10 years earlier because it's very raw it's very uh it sounds like it was made at the height of punk music but it's cool that it was made at like the height of grunge music right it's on it's on yeah, the post hardcore yeah. like on the they, everything they had learned <laughs> yeah my my track that i highlighted was rebel girl I love the intro of that because it's got very like misfitsy kind of sounding guitars. It's like that thick sort of like sort of, you know, like heavy heaviness. Um, and it also, it, especially the intro too, it kind of had like MC5 kind of mm. vibes to it too. Like the way like the snare hits and everything. Um, you know, it was just it, for me, that was just a fun song too. Like it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, there's this one girl that's in the like that's in the friend group who's like the rebel girl who kind of like sets the tone for all the friends and like all the other girls want to kind of be like her kind of thing. You know, like, um, yeah, same same with Jeff. Like, I had heard the name, but I never really, you know, gave uh, gave the band a fair shot. And uh, and yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. Like I said before, we started recording the podcast. Um, one of the albums I had chosen was Janis Joplin <laughs> and Jeff not being a huge Janis Joplin fan. <laughs> Uh, was like, oh man, I'm gonna listen to Janis Joplin, and I said something to Luke, and Luke was just like, why do you think I picked Bikini Kill? Because I, you're probably gonna hate it. And I'm like, I don't know. Well, let me try it. You know, if you had picked uh, Janis Joplin, no offense, Janis Joplin, I would have pretended I listened to it, and I would have been, like, <laughs> been like, well, I know this one song. I'll talk about that one song. Uh, but no, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. Like, I, like, like you. I mean, Luke, you, you, you pretty much, you know, said it said it best about you know the album as a whole but like uh but yeah i was pleasantly surprised man i, I really enjoyed it you know I, I was never a big punk guy 
but I think it was just the fact that that was a result of the punk music that was happening kind of in our time, like of our youth that I didn't really connect with, but going back and kind of listening to, uh, it's not that I didn't like punk music. I just wasn't listening to the right punk music. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like there's a lot that I don't like, and there's a lot that has, um, lyrics, lyrical content that I don't agree with at all in any aspect, but like, this is something I really like, you know, can kind of get behind. But like, could I could I even just say to like Jeff was pointing out like he really liked Demi rap on here, um, like I like that song too a lot because it starts off with the 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 children or like the the children's um, nursery rhyme that uh, girls are taught when they're young. That's how you entertain yourselves, right? And then the lyrical content is kind of like her saying like, um, you can call me a whore and all these nasty names, and I just have to be a, a girl. And then that lyrical theme is come back over the top of it. Um, where that's what girls are taught, you know, and but boys are never taught to behave, you know, uh, you know, to you know treat women with respect and not call them those things, and you know what I mean. And that's what I really like about Bikini Kill is oh, yeah. they can like in that song they didn't say like you boys need to talk nice, they just said it without saying it, and yeah. you the point comes across like really clear, and that's I really love it. And some of it's overt, some of it's not. I love it. Great record. Yeah, badass women yeah what you got uh for my second pick i'm gonna go with something that was or i should say an album that was really big when you know when we were in high school uh released in 2006 on island records the same record label that gave betty davis her big break uh amy winehouse's back to black um this record for me Plays so great. It's got this Phil Spectory wall of sound thing going for it. It's also got like this Motown feel going for it. Uh, and really, I mean, the lineup of of uh, like the collaborators for this album. I mean, you've got, I mean, you've got some. Gr- I mean, you have Sharon Jones, the Dap Kings on it. You have Salam Remy, who uh, produced the likes of Nas and the Fugees. You have Mark Ronson, who produced the likes of Adele, Lady Gaga. Queens of the Stone Age, Bruno Mars, uh, and it was mixed by Tom Elmhurst, who produced David mm-hmm. Bowie, The Black Keys, Beck. I mean, so you have here this great lineup of collaborators and musicians and producers and engineers and all that working really hard on this album. And I think it really shows. The album itself was influenced mainly by Amy Winehouse's uh, breakup uh, with Blake Felder Civil, who at the time... Uh, left Amy Winehouse to pursue uh, an ex-girlfriend of his. And I think, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I, I get the Joni Mitchell blue kind of vibes in that way too, mm-hmm. which is, 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 is basically kind of like dealing with heartbreak and depression. And especially for Amy Winehouse, unfortunately, you know, she fell to the pitfalls of, uh, you know, what a lot of artists fall victim to which is you know uh, issues with substance abuse mainly for her alcohol and heroin were 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 the big ones um but the influence of this album is inarguable it it really helped usher in the 2000s the brit soul wave giving you sort of the adele duffies that would come after her um it's got all those great elements of like pop soul you have r&b vibes you have reggae vibes you have the motown kind of thing going on you know so it's just it's a great album for me 
No, I agree um, with everything you said. And, like the, um, I love like the Motown vibes that are on here. Like um, uh, Tears Dry on their own is um, like the um, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, uh, High Enough riff played throughout, which is like great and like their own spin on it with like you know the in the the breakupy lyrics over it instead of the I love you lyrics. Um, like making it tragic. Um, I also love like the in rehab, like he's got the throwback soul, uh, vibe, but and it's like referencing Ray Charles and Donny Hathaway and you know like record collections and all that stuff. Um, and like you said, it really ushered in like the throwback era of like what could be like a pop song like around that time. I think like around this record too, like uh, you had the Christina Aguilera tune with the horns on it. Oh yeah. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- it, this album is so influential and such a great pick, Mike. And, um, it's really, uh, it's really a, a tragic that this is the only one we get from her. What's up, Jeff? Yeah. I, I, I like how this whole album, it kind of has one singular sound, which is this very like retro thing, but half the album was produced by Mark Ronson and half was produced by Salam Remy. And, and you can't really tell that's two different producers, but like the Mark Ronson stuff is much more like using the Dap Kings and making retro soul music. And then the Salam Remy cuts who worked with Amy Winehouse on her first album, Frank, his stuff is like doo-wop hip hop. Cause he does a lot more sampling and a lot more pulling old influences and kind of like hip hop beats uh, that are just their old soul drum loops. So you can't really tell that they aren't new recordings. But I just think it's a very seamless album. It's very confessional, like Mike said, how it has echoes of Joni Mitchell's Blue. Like, if you listen, if you read the lyrics, she's talking about specific points in her life and, like, moments and what she was wearing and what they were doing and how a day was going and all this, like, kind of everyday tragedy of her. And, you know, the Amy Winehouse story, like, you know, watch the documentary Amy if you haven't seen it. That's like the Free Britney thing before Free Britney. And you have someone who became like an overnight success and was just hounded by the British tabloids in particular are extremely hostile. And she just like withered away and like became like a human, you know, kind of like a skeleton of herself drinking all day and doing drugs and like not making music. And it's just a, it's a really sad end of her life, but like such a powerful creative output in like, maybe over only over a period of like four years i think she was making music yeah like jeff definitely said like she was definitely hounded and like this this album is a pop is was a pop album and is a pop album but at the same time um it is a work of i think high artistry of just music in general and not in the pop category um and for her to be treated the way she was was such a, like a a shame and like you know what i mean like she should have been like a bit more like you don't have to do this be, you know what i mean like this record really does stand on like you don't even really have to tour it it stands on its oh, own yeah. on a high on a high mark and like that's the real real shame but like songs on here like i really love um love is a losing mm-hmm. game it's such like a tender ballad um and like the writing on this record is so good and she had such a, a great like um um you know knack for almost like taking like a um an old sentiment and mixing it with like a modern um real life twist 
and that's what I really like about it because like we as a record collector I like cherish my records but at the same time I'm living in a modern moment and I feel like this record really brings those um front and center so that's probably my favorite one on this record um as of late but my all-time is me and Mr. Jones mm -hmm. for just how just how great it, it really is and the references and like who's the song about and like I just love how um confessional and secretive it is at the same time but that's by my favorite yeah that that's a total throwback record. to the to the jazz classic me and Mrs. Jones which is completely different subject matter but like it's a nod a tip of the cap to that my favorite song on this is you know I'm no good I I think it's the most directly autobiographical song of hers and like the Barry Sachs and the horn licks like that that thing just slams for me like these songs since it's retro but it's current it's like it sounds like it's lost lost to time like you couldn't place when this album was made if you didn't know yeah the call like yeah the the tramp drum beat on you know i'm no yeah. good is so good and then um uh the, the kitchen floor line oh what yeah. a cutter cut you to pieces yeah. cut you oh yeah you guys pretty much <laughs> mentioned two of the three songs that I chose to highlight. But but yeah, I think what's cool when I was listening to this album is it, it, it reminds, it kind of like to maybe like stretch here in an analogy, but it's it really feels like, you know, she took like this, like this 1960s classic car and like refurbished it and shined it up and put like a modern engine in it and put like modern brakes on it. You know what I mean? Like that's how it feels to me. Like it's such a throwback and homage to the the music that I think inspired her the most, uh, but also was able to give you something that, like you said, Jeff, like it, it kind of transcends time and space in that way where it's, it, it has modern elements, but it's just so, it's just so well done. Uh, like I said, you know, I mean, like you said, rather, you know, I'm no good. She has this ability to kind of, like you said, it's, it's, it's very, very much like that you, you, you come to see that she has a very, keen sense of like self-awareness like she knows her pitfalls she knows her her hang-ups and everything and she and she just gives them all she just lays them all out in front of you and it's just kind of like this is who i am and like this is this is where i'm having trouble and stuff and you know unfortunately for her uh you know heartbreak was one of the driving uh motivators behind this album and i think behind her music as a whole especially leading into back to black her grandmother mm. had died and that was a tremendous loss for her as like her relationship with, with her grandmother was one that was very, she had a very strong bond with her. And I think the loss of her grandmother and then the split up between her and uh, Blake Felder civil, like, you know, was a big, you know, was a big influence behind the album. Uh, even the song back to black, oh, you, know, that's... you know, it gives you that great, like Motown, like tambourine kind of vibe. Um, you know, it, you know, it's that whole thing of, uh, her ex leaving her for another woman to quote, like, you know, keep his dick wet kind of thing, you know, and now she's just going to go back to black, which on one end, you know, there's, there's, there's interpretations of what she means by back to black. Um, I think unfortunately what it really means is heroin, you know, black is kind of a sort of a slang term for heroin. And it was a known thing that she, you know, she had struggles with, um, with heroin. Um, I love like the, Again, like kind of referencing like Phil Spector, you know, like the big strings, like the chimes. But really, this song for me was really a cry for help in, in, in many ways, especially, you know, towards the end of the song when it kind of gives you like this dark sort of ominous pulsating. And she just keeps refer like she keeps repeating the, the word black 
you know. Um, it's just such a moving album. And when I listened to it, I was like, God damn, like, like this album just won't quit. Like every cut's just killer, 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 killer on it, you know. And, um, you know, again, just so much self-awareness there, uh, so much heartbreak. Uh, but, you know, she also, you, within some of the songs, the idea of overcoming these types of things. Unfortunately for her, I don't think she was really able to successfully overcome a lot of a lot of uh, her demons. But uh, but what an album, man. What an incredible, incredible album. So, uh, if, you know, I'm sure everybody has heard like the songs Rehab and Back to Black, but there there's just so many good cuts on this record. So. I would say uh, definitely, you know, if it's been a while since you've listened to it, definitely revisit it because I did. And I was just so this album just really blew me away. So. Uh, so, yeah, Amy Winehouse, Back to Black. Check it out. Right on. Word. My, my second choice is an album from the late 90s. It came out in 1998. It's the only studio album by Lauren Hill. It's called Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Uh, I said earlier at the top, fuck, fuck a Grammy, but you know, this one won a lot of Grammys. Notably, it was the first hip hop album to win album of the year. And uh, I think de- very deservedly. So this, some background on this album, her only studio album, she was a member of the Fugees, which was a hip hop soul collective in the mid nineties consisting of Wyclef Jean, Pross, and Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill, in that group, she was like 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. And she was a singer, but she's a rapper, a uh, very highly regarded rapper in her own right. And that group uh, kind of broke up acrimoniously. I believe she and Wyclef Jean were in a romantic relationship. Um, but he, he, it was a thing of like, he was 10 years older than her. She was like 19, 20 years old. And he was cheating around and she found out and blah, 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 how those stories go. So she left the Fugees and she forged her own path and went on her solo career. And she made this one album after getting together and having a child with a son of Bob Marley, Rohan Marley. So she had a son and it was this thing of like, she was in a group that was nominated for album of the year and like this big thing had hit singles and then she decided to leave it. And she now she was having a child and she was 21 years old. And everybody in her life told her it was a huge mistake and like it was going to ruin her career. But she decided to keep the child and like have this new life as a mother. And she still wanted to be creative. And she found a lot of creative spark from having this child and going through that tumultuous time in her life. So she went down to Jamaica to Bob Marley's home studio, Tough Gong. And she made this album with a group of musicians there known as New Ark. Uh, side note, they didn't get proper credit on this album and they sued her and she ended up paying them like $5 million because the label wanted this marketed as like every song written and produced by her, but it wasn't necessarily so. But anyway, she was the driving creative force behind this album. It's a very, um, it's like an album in the way that I like albums where it's like an entire statement it has spoken word interludes and skits. What it is, it's the current mayor of Newark, who at the time was a teacher in Newark. And it's him gathered with a group of children in Lauren Hill's home. And he's just talking, freewheeling, talking about subjects such as love and life. So at the end or at the, at the beginning of the album is an intro kind of skit. And then at the end of each track or 
the majority of all these tracks, it goes into more of this spoken dialogue skit with this man and these children, which I think is very cool connected tissue throughout this album. This album had huge hits. Um, Everything is Everything, which is one of the last songs on the album, was a big hit, featuring a very very young John Legend, who at the time was John Stevens. I think he was like 19, and he played the piano on that song. It's his first recorded thing that was released, um, which is is cool. Uh, Strangely, or I don't know, I found it strange. One of the bassists of Taking Back Sunday played bass on this album. Matt Rubano played bass on a couple cuts. Uh, no way. Really? Yeah. He played on like two or three of the songs, which is just kind of like a fun fact. He was a studio musician at the time. Um, James Poyser of the Roots played bass and keyboards on a number of these songs. But this is Lauren Hill, Lauren Hill, Lauren Hill, Lauren Hill, Lauren Hill, Lauren Hill. Uh, she sings her ass off. She raps her ass off. She writes deeply personal songs. She collaborates with Mary J. Blige on a song. She collaborates with D'Angelo on a song. Um, some of my favorite songs on this album, X Factor was one of the earliest songs. Musically is just very cool. It has like this, it has this constant like timpani roll that comes in at the start of each loop. It has kind of like wind chimes things. Um, and that is just like this great torch song that is just pleading about like why a love was lost and what went wrong and what the person did to her. I, it was notably sampled on uh, a Drake song. I forget the name of it, but a huge Drake song from last year or two years ago, uh, sampled X Factor. Uh, another song I really like on this album is To Zion, which is this, it's kind of like a marching gospel. It sounds like a, a crowd of gospel singers trudging towards a new future. And the song is called To Zion, meaning uh, Israel. So it's a biblical reference, but also she named her child that she had with Rowan Marley, Zion. So this the whole song is about how people told her that her she was screwing up her life by having this kid and how she really like instead like found this new path and this new like new uh vigor and like you know reason to live and reason to strive and make music uh features carlos santana on guitar um and i i really love the big big single i believe it was a number one hit single and as far as i know i think it was the first number one single by a female artist who also produced the song. And that's the song doo-wop that thing. Huge, huge song. Like if I had to pick any song that was like someone rapping and singing on it that I liked the most, this would be my choice. Um, it includes one of my favorite lyrics of all time when she, in the first verse, she's talking to the women and she it's the first verse is talking to women about how guys are dogs. And the second verse is talking to the guys about how to treat women better. Um, and then that first verse, that line is, uh, don't be a hard rock when you really are a gem. It's just like one of my favorite lines of all time. Um, but yeah, Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, just like killer albums start to finish. Very musically, uh, covers a lot of bases, gospel, reggae, hip hop, pop, you know, soul. So, um, When... You know this album is super popular because um, my mother purchased this album when it came out, and it was in our CD collection, although it did not get a lot of play past uh, maybe the year that it came out. But um, besides all that, um, 
listening re-listening to this album for this um i really got like um songs in the key of life vibes because right. i just like really like delved into that one um especially with like the, the the um the interlude with the um the guy you know talking about love with the kids and life and what you think like real love is or true all that stuff and like it gave me like the um stevie wonder vibes because it gave like a sense of like community and like um what was going on in the like community that she like lived in in like what what like um you know what was being you know kind of just like what life is like basic life stuff and like um like big picture themes and even though the songs like um might have been about like specific things they all make like a grander picture of like what someone's life was at that point and like jeff said laid out very beautifully what was going on and this record like really reflects like a young person's um you know um descend into a um very chaotic world and it's just um a beautiful view and there's a lot of love and life in here um as for songs that i would highlight um jeff talked about the one i was going to talk about is uh do up that thing because it gives me um like it not only does it like a banging song i love like the double up bass drum before it gets into the chorus like the dum 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 they like you could hear them start to layer on top mm. of each other um one of the best like production um like bass drums of i've ever heard in my life um and i really just wanted to highlight like how killer this single was um as it permeated like my um white bread world um, huge and I, song huge yeah man like song. And it, this, like, I went, like, with the, like, you know, what we've been listening to a couple episodes ago, and I went, like, full hard in the 90s. This was, like, one of the songs I was going to do for that um, playlist because I just really thought, like, it stood out as such a powerful, like, woman anthem of the time. And, like, I was listening to, like, a lot of um of those songs from um, women of the late 90s, like, giving their thing. And this one is, like, so influential and um, probably the best example. So, great album, great um you know, giant chunk of uh, material to mm. sift through and definitely was uh, of the CD era and definitely gave me Stevie Wonder mm. vibes, which would be a classic album. So um, this was a classic album of that era. So I definitely would listen to it. That would be my comparison. I loved it. Yeah, my introduction to Lauren Hill, speaking of like, you know, CDs in your mom's CD player, uh, was the Fugees. You know, the Fugees for me was like my introduction to Lauren Hill, you know, and uh, listening back to this album, it's kind of like, is there anything she can do? You know what I mean? Like, she's got a beautiful voice. She sings her ass off, but she can also rap as well. You know, she can give you this. She can give you spoken word. She can rap. She can. I mean, it's like, you know, it's it's so great. The song that I chose as my highlight for this album was Forgive Me, Father. I love that album. I mean, I'm sorry. I love that song, rather. Um, This song also features what's what's called uh, Patois, like Jamaican Patois at the very end of it, uh, which is uh, sort of a, uh, you know, is a Jamaican English uh, sort of a dialect. But overall, I mean, especially like towards the last verse, you know, like Cain and Abel, Caesar and Brutus, Jesus and Judas, backstabbers do this. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. So it's kind of like this reflective way of, of being like, you know, hey, be careful of the people that are around you, you know, because like maybe some people who seem like they're close to you and seem like they have their best interest in you might take advantage of you and stuff. But but it has this turn the other cheek kind of quality about it, too, which is, you know, the idea of like forgiveness. Um, yeah, it's just this sort of worldview reflection kind of vibe with this album. Uh, I think, Luke, you kind of hit the nail on the head and the songs in the key of life kind of vibe. 
It's a monster album. I, it's, you know, it's a long album. It's like an hour and 15 minutes know? long or something like that. Yeah, you know, and it's just, it is, man. It's just so, I think it's just so effective. It's so great. Um, I, I love the fact that it most of it was recorded in Jamaica, too. Uh, there's a lot of that kind of, like, vibe to it and kind of a reconnecting mm. with, you know, roots yeah. and, and that kind of thing, too. Um, I think, yeah, it's just, it's overall, it's it's just, it's such an effective album, man. It's so great. Like I said, what, what? Dude, there's nothing Lauren Hill well, can't do, man. She there's sings, one thing she, she can't she do, unfortunately, all. because of mental health issues in life she's never made another album which is like the craziest thing in the world to me do you know how old lauren Hill Har- is not she's only like 45 no. years old harper lee man it's like time it's so strange i i, I was just like doing the research and i'm like man i wonder how how old she's I, I assume she's like 50 52 i'm like god damn she's 45 years old like i wish she you know or i think she was an early casualty of the internet man like Cause she left a group that was huge and especially hip hop heads like are super divisive and like protective of what they like. So I think she was eaten alive by leaving or breaking up the Fugees, whatever. And then like, she was critically acclaimed, but then I think she had a ton of pressure to like follow that up. And she was just like, I just want to be a mom. And like, if I want to make music, I would, but like everyone's just like begging me to do it. So I don't really want to. And she like has had her like, you know, out there in the public troubles with mental health things, but like it's, you know, it's it's a shame she hasn't made more music. But like this, I think is a perfect statement. So like, if this is all we have, then you know, unfortunately, yeah. Right on, guys. Luca. All right. Um, my last pick here is something I wanted to throw out that was um different. It's something I was definitely into in high school. Um. So this album came out in 2009. It is Sainthood by Tegan and Sarah. Tegan and Sarah are a um, um, sister duo from Canada. Um, And they make music together that was at first kind of like folky and indie-y, very like, um, you know, singer-songwriter indie thing. But um, this album for me was like the height of their power, and I really wanted to... Um, throw it out there because it's the one that really like got me into them. Um, I heard the single off of this. Believe this or not, this might this is probably the end of this era. But um, I heard the single of the song on a college radio station going to work. Um, it was the song Hell. Um, and when I got off my shift, I drove to Newbury Comics in Rhode Island, which was like an hour away, and I bought the CD and I came home. Um, so it was like a lot of fun, like doing that and hearing this off the radio. So that's probably another reason I really like this album. Um, it was produced by Chris Walla, the bass player for Death Cab for Cutie, which I also think adds some great elements and vibes to this record. Um, the production is sparse. The lyrics are hauntingly robotic at times. Um, I like how the imagery is um, very abstract and, um, you know, cold feeling. Um, And at the same time, the subject matter on the record is very heartfelt and, um, you know, has a lot of um, passion in what they're saying. So um, that's, you know, kind of the basis of this record. But um, songs I would definitely highlight on here, um, Alligator is such a good track um it's super dancey it um it takes uh the crocodile tears um um was saying it kind of flips it on its head a little bit creatively 
Um, and I really like the... I like the texture of, like, how this is pretty much, like, let's just, like, call it what it is, like, an emo record. But it's an emo record that is, like, produced so creatively that it doesn't fall into any of the cliches that I think are the downfall of that genre of the time when this came out in 2009. Um, so that's why I also wanted to highlight it out, because I think it's a high point in the emo late end watermark of when I was in high school and the music I really like. So, yeah, just as a side note, this album was produced by Chris Walla. Uh, yeah, man, I said that. Did, oh, you did say, I'm sorry, man. Yeah. I missed that. That went over, that went over my head. No. Um, yeah. But, but, uh, but yeah, talk about, I mean, in terms of an album, interesting too, that, you know, uh, you know, we, we like to get nostalgic and we like to talk about kind of like our youth and how things were. This album was the full album was released for streaming on my, you know, and, um, I think that speaks to kind of like how, you know, unfortunately I think that was a cool thing about MySpace, which was like, not only was it a social media platform, but it also was a platform of which artists were able to release their music, uh, in a way to where it was fun and it was new and it was happening, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out. <laughs> Shout out to MySpace. It's um, not a social media site. Like it's the social media site. No, oh, it was so good. Uh, I wanted to know what, cause this was also, I made you guys kind of like threw this out there because I didn't think this was something you guys would listen to. So I wanted to get your opinion on a record that was probably not in your favorite genre of music. Yeah. Here's my opinion. Uh, Tegan and Sarah, like we've talked about on, on a number of episodes when referring to like the BGs or the Beach Boys, there's really nothing like siblings singing together. Um, so I think that's like the high point of this album is, or really any Tegan and Sarah music, because I've listened to a handful of their albums and like that's always a thing that I walk away with, which is like, it sounds like one voice just singing two parts. It's very cool. Uh, I, my favorite track on this is a song called Night Watch which I, tr- I, I listened to a couple times and I'm like, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking too much. But it's kind of like it's this driving 4-4 pop punk beat, but it's definitely not in 4-4 time. It, like, the beat switches around numbers of times, but it just has this driving thing with the drums. So I thought that was cool musically, um, the song Nightwatch. And I did, I did like how, you know, it's two singers. It's two, I, I should say it's two sisters. They're both gay and they sing about you know, the treatment of women and love life and all those type of themes that I think, you know, it's, it's always nice to hear a women's perspective on those things in a man ruled world. So. Yeah. Especially like the themes of this album are like, um, you know, love and codependency and love relationships. And um, I think there's like a lot of like stuff on here that like, you know, they're just, really throwing out in like well-written ways because i feel like as like an emo record like you really just want to if you're gonna do gonna do the confessional thing you there's like kind of two ways to go about it there's you can write in a way that kind of um you know will cloak Mm. what you're trying to say or give you an imagery or a feeling to evoke what that what happened and the other way is kind of messy where you just say it and i don't think that ages that well and i don't think it is as well crafted um so like the writing on this record too like um you know like um even on that like um uh arrow the beginning song you're like on directing me like you're 
the just the the way of saying what you want to say without overtly saying it like um obviously listen for yourself and you might get something different out of this record but for me it just is like a really um potent like relationship record and what goes on when you're in a relationship and i i really like the um the writing style and yeah so there you go yeah this was a this album was a little different for me in terms of what i generally will listen to but i'm glad i listened to it um my track that i chose to highlight was don't rush i like the rhythmic quality of the way the lyric is delivered um yeah overall um maybe not necessarily my cup of tea but like i said i'm glad i listened to it because i think it uh it's it's very much like a time and a place kind of an album you know when i listen to it uh yeah i'd say Good pick, man. And uh, like, I, I just want to know after this, they made a pop record that was like super dancing, yeah, like super that pop. Right. So I like that record too. I just wanted to highlight that this one is completely different in artistry and attempt and attack. And um, to listen to like the in their career, how they just are fearless to do whatever they feel like at that moment. And I feel like it, they're making great art. So I just want to highlight as a you know women that are still making music, they're following their muse. Nice. Um, for my last and final pick, um, I went with uh, one of the titans of female vocalists. Um, it's 1968. The album is Lady Soul from Aretha Franklin. Uh, this album, kind of like when I was talking about Amy Winehouse, when you're talking about kind of like the stars sort of aligning, especially with, you know, in terms of like the collaborative effort, the people behind the album, um, this record was is just absolutely amazing. You also, although it's not a song that I highlighted as one of my three songs to highlight, um, "Good to Me as I Am to You." You got a you got a, a, a young Eric Clapton coming in and kind of giving you uh, you know some of those uh, tasty blues licks. Um, uh, recorded at Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Uh, Aretha Franklin had a good relationship with. Uh, producer jerry wexler and uh kind of gave birth to uh to this record um i mean what you know it's one of those records where it's just like you can talk about it all day but it's like the album kind of speaks for itself um obviously the title i mean not sorry the title track the uh the opening track chain of fools uh written by don covey it was originally written for otis redding um but jerry wexler decided that you know it probably better suited aretha franklin um those great backing vocals uh, were uh, the Sweet Inspirations featuring Sissy Houston, which was Whitney Houston's mother, which I thought was really cool. And another thing that she did, that Aretha did that I thought was great was in terms of the backing vocals, talking about sibling vocals, yeah, you know, siblings yeah. who sing together sounds great. You have Carolyn Franklin and Irma Franklin uh, as the background vocals too. And, you know, the tain, 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 like it's just, it's just such a killer song, man. Like, I, I love that song. Um, I want to say, I think if you go on Spotify, uh, there are the there's an out al- there's a version of the album that has so you know some kind of unreleased versions of songs. There's an extended cut of Chain of Fools, and you know, I listen to the song and I'm like, man, I wish the song was longer. And then they have an extended version. I was like, oh, even better. Like, <laughs> this is great. It makes it so when you listen to the edit, you hate it every time. Right, right. I almost always shout out to Ellie Greenwich yeah. too, who sang, who was uh, on background vocals too. Yes, 
she's like an underrated female you know we're not gonna talk about her today other than this little moment but she co-wrote a ton of the female songs in the 60s like leader of the pack and do a day is that what's called do 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 a do a river deep mountain high she she's like an underrated songwriter and yeah she was like in the mix there that's that's my favorite aretha franklin song of all time chain of fools like the thickness of like six women singing the chorus it's just like the fucking best especially that intro you know you get that sort of like pop staples kind of like guitar thing kind of influence guitar thing going on provided by um i I think it was it's bobby womack um uh just just a great tune um and speaking of bobby womack um my second song choice since you've been gone that was written by Aretha Franklin and Ted White, who was her manager and first husband at the time. But that's another song that's great. I mean, you have Bobby Womack on guitar, uh, King Curtis on sax, Spooner Oldman playing the Fender Rhodes, who uh, Spooner Oldham also, like, you know, he played Fender, uh, he played organ on uh, Percy Sledge's When a Man Loves a Woman. He played on Wilson Pickett's Mustang Sally. Like, just an all-star lineup of musicians. Uh, and my third uh, is to to cite maybe another phenomenal female vocalist songwriter uh, written by Carol King and Jerry Goff and her husband at the time. You make me feel like a natural woman. Um, great mm-hmm. string section on that track. Great horns on that. And also, uh, we've talked. I think we talked about it before on the on the podcast. But when Carol King won the Kennedy Center Award oh, yeah. uh, in 2015, dude, let me tell you, man. Like when I watched. Aretha Franklin play that for the first time it like brought tears to my eyes it was just such a moving moving song and she comes out in like this big sort of fur coat and she's sitting at the piano and then she rips the coat off and she stands up and she finishes the song out so strong like Aretha Franklin for me is one of those artists that's just I mean just absolutely incredible and you know I mean starting off she was signed to Columbia Records and Columbia didn't really know what to do with her because they kind of had her try to sing standards and stuff. But once she moved to Atlantic, I mean, I think she really blossomed as an artist. Uh, and she just had such a good team working behind her to really showcase her uh, her as a, as a phenomenal vocalist. And just a musician all around. Because, I mean, she, you know, if you, I think it's live at the Fillmore. Um, you know, she rocks out on that Fender Rhodes, man. Like, she's just... She's incredible. Like, I, I love Aretha Franklin so much. I don't think, I mean, even the Columbia Records stuff, when I listen back to it, granted, it sounds, it, it doesn't sound quite realized yet uh, in comparison to the Atlantic Records stuff. But still, like, you can't argue with the fact that she's just a phenomenal vocalist. And, uh, you know, a lot of that sort of, you know, her father was a preacher, and you get, you can see, like, where she really got her chops singing gospel songs. Uh, in the church and everything and uh yeah man i mean it's i mean it's aretha franklin you can't really <laughs> you can't really argue with that one you know like she's just absolutely incredible she's the queen man you know for yeah. real um song highlight i think this is her strongest album overall like i think um they really got a great group of uh, songs together to put out um like a powerful image of what she was at the time um obviously like we spoke of chain of fools giving a really, really great um, empowerment. And then you make me feel like a natural woman, like just owning that statement um, is great. But my favorite song in here is uh, Nikki Hokey. Oh. Um, I really like 
the bass line. I like when Aretha Franklin does a fast tune, and um, this is that one on this record for me. Um, I really like this song, too, because of her use of the word copacet- uh, copacetic, where she's like, everything is copacetic now. Um, so that's why I really like this song. Um, I think she can really turn a phrase in the tune, and that's one of them, and I just love this tune, so... And great record, I agree with yeah, that. I don't, you guys. Not, maybe not my favorite Aretha Franklin album, because I like, overall, I like her live stuff more, maybe, like the Amazing Grace album mm-hmm. and the live at the Fillmore. But this is my but favorite of her this studio is albums. My favorite of her studio And albums. especially her soul stuff. And especially her soul stuff. Yeah. yeah. Most definitely. Do you, are, you, are, you, are you guys hearing an echo? Okay. It's not just me. All right. No, I think we're good now. Um... So yeah, Lady Soul, Aretha Franklin, give it a listen. Really, any Aretha Franklin album is pretty amazing. So you know you can't go wrong. But so there it is, my last, my last selection. Yeah, okay, Jeffrey. my last one is uh, another one from the late '90s. I, you know, I wanted my selections to be as much to of things I listen to a ton of, and I listened to a ton of this album. It's the second album by Fiona Apple. Uh, okay, let me let me get. <laughs> Can let I get it? Can full, I read it for let you? Let me hit the full title. Let me hit the full. When the pawn hits the conflicts, he thinks like a king. <laughs> what he knows throws the blows. When he goes to the fight, he'll win the whole thing. For he enters the ring. There's nobody to batter when your mind is your might. So when you go solo, you hold your own hand and remember that depth is the greatest of heights. And if you know where you stand, then you know where you land. And if you fall, it won't matter because you'll know that you're right. <laughs> That's the full album title. Guys, I was getting anxiety that? halfway yeah, through it. <laughs> you, uh, you <laughs> I was getting Dr. Seuss rhyme. <laughs> Um, so this is the second album by Fiona Apple, who was like this wonderkind singer songwriter of the mid nineties, very much like how Billie Eilish is looked at today, where it was a teenage girl and she was singing about very adult themes and making very beautiful, like ahead of her time type music that also touched back on a lot of retro influences. Fiona Apple's music in particular has a lot of, um, jazz and, uh, like, kind of what what would you call it like tin pan alley and vaudeville type of stuff in it but she also rocks and some of these are just straight up rock songs uh i like this album maybe the most out of all of her albums it's the one i listen to the most just because sonically i think it's my most favorite it's the most interesting to me it has tons of layers of things the drumming on this album is insanely good it's one of my favorite albums ever for drum sounds and drum beats the all the extra as as we like to say all the special sauce all over everything john bryan was a collaborator of hers he's a multi-instrumentalist who plays organ and keyboards and guitars and bass and percussion and blah 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 so it's like fiona apple wrote these very powerful personal beautiful songs and then went in the studio with John Bryan. She like put down all her tracks and then she was, she basically was just like, go crazy on it, man. Just do what you want to do. And I'll be here with you. And like, if I don't like it, I'll tell you, but if, or if I want specific things, I'll tell you, but like, I trust you with my music and like, here's the vision. And now just like put stuff on it to make it happen. So this album is just like 
for it's an audiophile's like dream. It's it's filled with so many cool little moments and little blips and things that just happen for an instant that are just like ear candy. Uh, but also it comes back to this album is it's just it's just great songwriting. Fiona Apple, some of her background, she was very honest about it when she blew up when she was, I think, 18 or 19 years old with her first album, her first big single, Criminal, which in my opinion is the best song of the 90s. Um, she's very honest about her experience with, uh, she was sexually assaulted when she was a preteen outside of her home. And it led to a lot of, as you can imagine, a lot of issues in her life and mental health things and distrust and things of that nature. And this album is like her confessional and diary type of thing about a, women, a woman's place in the world and how she, she wants to be treated in a relationship and her flaws and how she knows that she has this toxic part of her or like she wants to cure herself of this anxiety and depression, but she doesn't know how. Um, but it's, it's never from a victim point of view. It's always empowered. And just like any of her music, like she is, she's my favorite artist, like, I think my favorite solo artist of my lifetime, she's put out, I think five albums and I love all of them, but this is the one I connect to the most just because musically it's like so interesting. It's so innovative. Uh, some of my favorite songs, the first one on the album is called on the bound, which is short for on the rebound. And it's just this, like she's pounded the piano. She's yelling. She, she has this voice. That's like this. It's, it's so it's so rich and broken at the same time. And it, it sounds like way beyond her years. And the, she, it's just like all over this song. There's like, t there's a little part in like three way, three quarters of the way through where it's like a telephone kind of like tones is like part of the solo. It's just like very chock full of cool musical ideas. I also love the song paper bag, which is very much kind of like a sing songy jazz song, which is in the middle of the album. And I also really like the song Fast As You Can, which did a thing that she would do a lot of, which is it has this driving 4-4 thing. But then the hook, she sings triplets against it, so it has this like musical tension. And then the bridge goes into this 6-8 waltz thing. So it's, it's what she did best, which is write these very interesting musical things that like clashed but always worked and like created such feeling in just the music like you don't even need the vocals you could just listen to instrumentals of this album and just be like whoa this person is going through a lot or like this is such like beautiful but pained kind of music um so yeah when the pawn dot 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 like i love this album so much <laughs> Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this album. Uh, Fast As You Can was the song that I chose as the highlight song, too. I love that, man. Like, I mean, you, you pretty much said it best, but it's that, like you said, when she sings the triplets, when, when it goes into the 6-8, <laughs> I'm like, whoa, like this, this song for me played kind of like a, I mean, I don't know if it's too far of a stretch, but it kind of played yeah. like a prog rock song to me. I was like, whoa, this is interesting. There's high points, there's low points, there's there's so much movement in the song, like, I really enjoyed it, and I love, um, I love the way that like the the I, I said it before, like when we were talking about um, mm -hmm. fetch the bolt cutters, how I really enjoy like the uh, the the recording of the percussion mm -hmm. on her albums. You know, there's a lot of space. You can hear the room with some of the stuff. Like, um, but yeah, I, that song to me was just like, yeah, dude. It's it's just it it's such a cool track. Like. 
it really kind of threw me for a loop because I've heard some of the hits, you know, but Fiona Apple was one of the artists that overall, not somebody that I listen to all the time, but every time I do listen to, I'm just so pleasantly surprised. And so just like, I, I really very much enjoy it. She does this cool thing with her voice. She's got this really fast kind of mm. vibrato thing that she does sometimes. It's like, ah! like, I, I mean, I yeah. can't do it, but, <laughs> but like, but yeah, her voice is just so unique and it's so her own. And it's, uh, you know, she's, she really is just like an original, you know, like, no, I I like like what uh, Mike is saying like a, an original. It's like the the production for me too is like it was like do what you do and then I'll just gonna like you know help to form it into like something you like love love. Um, I watched like a John Byron with like uh, Elliot Smith the YouTube video that they play together. Um, and he's very mm. talented. And that's what like got me like on his like radar at first. Um, and so when I was like listening to this record, I was like, this is a Jeff all day long. And then I was like, oh, okay, I kind of see like where that like whole vibe is where, you know, this is nothing like Elliot Smith, but it's that like, you know what I mean? Like you do what you do and I'm going to add on top of it to, you know what I mean? Not take away from it. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was cool. I really liked, like you said, like the, the single paper bag off here. I really liked um, and it's just like the way, I don't know. I like how like it can have like a pop sensibility, but be like completely not like, and it's almost like anti-pop. Like, you know what I mean? Cause like when you first mm. had me listen to, uh, Fiona Apple, you're like fetch a bolts colors. And in my head, I'm going like the pop song I know from the nineties. Um, and I'm like, oh, okay, so that's her. But like time and time again, I'm like, like Mike, uh, pleasantly surprised to be like, oh, well, these really don't feel like super pop records. They feel really personal and well thought out and, um, and not really like on any kind of one's radar for what a pop record should be. So. Yeah. They're, they're pop in the way that like, they're always, as strange as they are, they're always melodic and memorable, but like they do not sound like the, they sound like someone made alternative rock music it, in the 1940s. She's like, like, it's just very, it's very, it's um, like pacemaker, right? Like, that's how I feel about it. Like, this yeah. is going to be like all you pop stars are going to be adding this element to your songs. Yeah, you know, it's not going to mm. sound like my songs, but you're going to be taking some kind of element from it. And that's what I like. I really dug. I was like, I was able to see like a progression of music that I didn't see where this was like a really like a, um, you know, everybody that was hip was probably listening to this going, oh man, like she, she outdid all, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I really like this record. And her, her, her voice is just, it's exhilarating because she is such a talented vocalist. She can sing very sweet and um, sound very smooth. She can just wail. She can scream. It's just pure emotion at all times. Like I connect to her music uh, at such a visceral, visceral level. Um, she's like undeniable for me. So no, I and I'm glad you do. I'm glad you do. Cause the more you're like, dude, and it's like, it comes into my musical vocabulary and like a very, and I'm like, Oh, okay. And I'm, you know, it's a great eye opener. So like mm -hmm. we do these things, like we all learn too from each other, which is awesome. Like we hope you guys will. Yeah. Cause I mean, half the albums we talked right, about, you know, never so, listened to before. Same. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, man. So check out these albums. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're all worthwhile. These nine that we mentioned, there's a bunch that we didn't get to. Um, how about that? You want to shout, shout out one or two that we didn't talk about today, but people should check out. 
Uh, Fem- yeah, I mean, you know, like I got one. Made oh, okay, music. go for it. Yeah, I would, I would be, re- I would be remiss if I didn't mention my wife's favorite female artist, who is oh, yeah. Stevie Nicks. Um, you know, uh, coming coming uh, to 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 front Fleetwood Mac much later uh, in the Fleetwood Mac catalog, but still creating one of like one of the best sounding albums ever recorded. Uh, rumors, you know, but. I mean, okay, you have Stevie Nicks in there, but I mean, Christine McVie, right. another incredible, talented artist in her own right. Um, much to the chagrin of Jeff. Oh, Nintendo! Nintendo! Um, for me, the album that I wanted to highlight was uh, the Cosmic Blues album. Um, just because I like, I like that album. That's like post big brother in the holding company that's kind of her doing her own solo sort of thing uh and i really you know i really enjoy that album um as well so uh cool. so there there are two you know i mean obviously you have like jefferson airplane with grace slick like mama yeah. cast is another another great uh, you know female vocalist as well so i mean the list goes on like there's, there's um, so many good I'll, I'll shout out um a band that i didn't uh talk to you guys about but uh x-ray specs punk band from the UK, uh, and their sole album, uh, Germ Free Adolescence, is a powerful statement of womanhood and punk. Um, also check out the single, Oh Bondage, Up Yours. Oh, and some I'll throw out, we all love this one, Carol King's album Tapestry. Uh, an al- another album from the late 70s would be Patti Smith's Horses, her first album. And a more current one, uh, check out any of the albums by the girl uh, sibling band Heim, who I really, really love. Um, but yeah, so those those are our thoughts today on women in rock, man. Like, you know, never fucking believe anybody who says that women can't make great music, can't rock, because it's very clear that some of our most beloved albums are made by women. And, you know, keep spinning that shit and keep uh, boosting those people in your life and those artists, especially because their viewpoints and their music is more than important in right everybody's lives. And shout out Absolutely. to our Absolutely. news. Mike, you want to give the breaking news? Yes, finally, we can talk about this. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, uh, a week ago? Yeah, a week ago, uh, we played the Spotify game with our friends Danny and George over in the Feel Feelings podcast and uh, special announcement. I'm not sure when they're going to release that episode. Um, but, uh, we are now members of the Wasted Robot Podcast Network. We're very excited, uh, to join their podcast network family. Um, so they, they also, I think most of the podcasts that they have on their network are more so driven by a a lot of like, uh, friends that they have that are comedians. So, uh, interesting for us to hop on that podcast network as we are, the one podcast on that network that is not comprised of comedians. We're just music <laughs> nerds. So uh, we're very excited to uh, we're very excited to be a part of that podcast network and check out Wasted Robot because they have so many great podcasts uh, on there. And uh, it's 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 headed by Danny, who is one of the uh, one of the hosts of uh, the Feel Feelings podcast. So shout out to those guys. Uh, we're very grateful to be yeah. on the podcast network on uh, something to expect in the future we're going to start incorporating 
more ads into our uh, into our show. And uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, just super, super excited for what the future holds. You know, I mean, we've we've got some big plans. COVID kind of COVID kind of slowed down some of the things that we wanted to do. But, uh, you know, as time goes on and uh, we start to get vaccinated and we start to get comfortable kind of being in the same room together again, uh, you know, we're we're really looking forward to uh, what's to come. So. I think, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, you know, stick around for, for, uh, for some of that. Uh, Jeff, how's, uh, how's, what do you love about music? What's going uh, on? I've now? been on a two week hiatus. I might have an episode this week. I might not. I've been busy with other pursuits, so I just haven't had the time to do it, but it's not dead. It's just hibernating at the moment, but check that out. Follow it right. on Spotify. It's Spotify exclusive. What do you love about music? It's a music interview show that i host i've had eight episodes and they're all available on spotify so you can listen to those at your leisure so please do i would really appreciate it and i think you would enjoy it yeah it's great man i i, I love that podcast it's, it's so much fun you know although i'll say I, <laughs> I thought about it and i was like man the the funeral question <laughs> I feel like I sounded kind of like a dipshit. But, Listen, you know, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. How's your um, podcast? Are you, are you doing also, anything yeah, soon? Um, what works for you? Yeah, I have plans. Hopefully this Friday, I'm going to record uh, my latest episode featuring oh, my yeah. mom. Um, I mentioned it like two, I mentioned it like two weeks ago, but likewise, you know, like you said, Jeff. You know, sometimes it's it's difficult to uh, to try to schedule things. I mean, we we Life, have this uh, sort of finds a way. Uh, time cut out for getting the garage, um, but to make time for uh, to make time for that podcast, I've have, I'm kind of having some difficulty with that. But hopefully, this Friday, I'm going to record an episode with my mother, and uh, that will be released hopefully this weekend. Um, so yeah, same thing. Um, Instagram. You find it where all podcasts are found, uh, iTunes, all that stuff. What works for you? It's kind of like spiritualism meets uh, self-help meets, you know, self-betterment, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah. So check Guys. it out. Check great it out. Check it out. Guys. Keep episode. rocking. Until next time, guys. Remember to get in the garage. This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information, and links to other shows please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com slash podcasts.